Prefactory matters. Fear stands for fuck everything and run. Old AA saying. Lockbox one. On the second day of December, in a year when a Georgia peanut farmer was doing business in a White House, one of Colorado's great results result hotels burnt to the ground. The overlook was declared a total loss. After investigation, the fire marshal of G. G. County ruled the coals being a defective boiler. The hotel was closed for the winter when the accident occurred. Only four people were present. Three survived. Hotel's off-season caretaker, John Torrance, was killed during an unsuccessful and heroic effort to dump the boiler's steam pressure, which had mounted to disastrously high levels due to an operative relief valve. Two of the survivors were the caretaker's wife and young son. The third was the overlooked chef, Richard Hallonane, who had left for his job in Florida and came to check on the Torrances because what he called a powerful hunch that family was in trouble. Both surviving adults were quite badly injured in the explosion. Only the child was unhurt, physically at least. Two, Wendy Torrance and her son overlooked received a settlement from the corporation that owed the overlook. It wasn't huge, but enough to get them by. For the three weeks, she was unable to work because of back injuries. A lawyer she consulted told her that if she were willing to hold out, pay tough, she might get a great deal more because the corporation was anxious to avoid a court case. But she, like the corporation, wanted only to hold out, put a disastrous winter Colorado behind her. She would convalesce, she said, and she did. Although back injuries played her until the end of her life, shattered vertebrae and broken ribs healed, but they never ceased crying out. Mueller Fred and Daniel Torrance lived in Mid-South for a while, then drifted down to Tampa. Sometimes Dick Alamein he, of the powerful hunches, came up from Key West to visit them, with them, to visit with young Danny, especially they shared a bond. One early morning, March of 1991, Wendy called Dick and asked if he could come. Danny, she said, had awakened her in the night and told her not to go in the bathroom. After that, he refused to talk at all. Free. He woke up needing to pee. Outside, a strong wind was blowing. It was warm. In Florida, it was always, almost always was. But he did not like that sound, I suppose. He never would. He reminded him of the overlook, where the defective boiler had been the very least of the dangers. He and his mother lived in a cramped second-floor tenement apartment. Danny left the little room next to his mother's and crossed the bowl. The wind gusted and a dying bam palm tree beside the building clattered its leaves. A sound was skeletal. They always left the bathroom, bathroom door open when no one was using the shower or the toilet because the lock was broken. 
Tonight the door was closed. Not because his mother was there, however, thanks to facial injuries she suffered at the overlook. She never she now snored. A soft creak creak sound. He he could hear it coming from her bedroom. Well, she closed it by by accident. That's all. He knew better. Even, even then, he was the best vest of the powerful hunches and intuitions in himself. But sometimes you had to know. Sometimes you had to see. This is something he had found out at Overlook, a room on the second floor, reaching with an arm that seemed too long, too stretchy, too bungless. He turned the knob and opened the door. A woman from room 217 was there. As he had known she would be, she was sitting naked on the toilet, her legs spread and her padded thighs bulging. A greenish breast hung down like deflated balloons. A patch of hair between her stomach was grey. Her eyes were like were also grey, like steel mirrors. She saw him, and her lips stretched back in a grin. Close your eyes, Dick Hanneman, I told him once upon a time. If you see something bad, close your eyes, and tell yourself it's not there. And when you open them again, it will be gone. But it didn't work in room 217 when he was fine. And it wouldn't work now. He knew it. He, he could smell her. She was decaying. A woman. He knew her name. It was Mrs. Macy. Lumbered to her purple feet, holding out her hands to him. Her flesh and her arms hung down, almost dripping. She was smiling, the way you do when you see an old friend or have something good to eat. With an expression that could have been mistaken for calmness, Danny closed the door softly and stepped back. He watched as the knob turned right, left, right again, then steeled. He was right eight now, and capable of at least some rational thought, even in his horror, partly because in the deep part of his mind he'd been expecting this, although he'd always thought it would be Horace Gilbert who would eventually show up. Or perhaps the bartender, one of his, one his father, had called Lloyd. I suppose he should have known it would be Mrs. Macy, though even before it finally happened, because of all the undead things in the overlook, she had been the worse. The rational part of his mind told him she was just a fragment, fragment of an unremembered bad dream that had followed him out of his sleep and across the hall to the bathroom. A pair. But this part, that part, insisted that if he opened the door again, there would be nothing there. Surely there wouldn't be. Now that he was awake, by another part of him, a part that shone, knew better. The overlook didn't, wasn't done with him. At least one of his vengeful spirits had followed him all the way to Florida. Once he'd come upon that woman, spawned in a bathtub, She'd gotten out and tried to choke him with her fishy but terribly strong fingers. If he opened the bathroom door now, she would finish the job. He compromised by putting his ear against the door. At first there was nothing, 
Then he heard a faint sound, dead fingernails scratching on wood. Danny walked into the kitchen and on not their legs stood on a chair and peed into the sink. Then he woke his mother and told her not to go in the bathroom because there was a bad thing there. Once they were, that was done, he went back to the bed and sunk deep beneath the covers. He wanted to stay there forever, only getting up to pee in the sink. Now that he had warned his mother, he had no interest in talking to her. His mother knew about the known talking thing. It happened after Danny had ventured in room 217 at the Overlook. Will you talk to Dick? Lying in his bed, looking up at her, he nodded. His mother called, you know, it was four in the morning. Late the next day, Dick came. He brought something with him, a present. For after Wendy called Dick, she made sure Danny heard her doing it. Danny went back to sleep. Although you now eight in the third grade, you're sucking his thumb. It hurt her to see him do that. She went to the bathroom door and stood looking at it. She was afraid. Danny had made her afraid. But she had to go, and she had no intention of using the sink as he did. Had. The image of how she would look teetering on the edge of the counter with her butt hanging over, pulsing, even if there's no other to see, made her wrinkle her nose. In one hand, she had a hammer from a little box of window tools. As she turned the knob and pushed the bathroom door open, she raised it. The bathroom was empty, of course, but the ring on the toilet seat was down. She never left it that way before going to bed, because he knew if Tony wandered in, only at 10% weight, he was apt to forget to put it up, piss all over it. Although there was a smell, a bad one, as if a rat had died in the walls. She sh- took up a step, took a step in, then two. She saw a moment, a world. Hammer upraised to hit whatever, whatever was hiding behind the door. Only, but it was only a shadow, a shadow scared of her own shadow. People sometimes sneered, who had, but had, who had a better right than Mary Wendy Torrance. After the things she had seen and been through, she knew the shadows would be, could be dangerous. They could have teeth. No one was in the bathroom. But there was a discoloured smear on the toilet seat, another on the shower curtain. Discreetment was her first thought, but shit wasn't, isn't yellowish purple. She looked more closely and saw bits of flesh and decayed skin. It was more like then it was more on the bath mat. In shape of footprints, she thought them too small, too dainty to be a man's. Oh God, she whispered. She ended up using the sink after all. Five. When they nagged their son out of bed at noon, she managed to get a little soap and half a peanut butter sandwich into him. But then he went back to bed. He sat, he still wouldn't speak. 
Fellow men arrived shortly after five in the afternoon. Behind the wheel of his old, ancient, but perfectly maintained and blindly polished red Cadillac. Wendy had been standing at the window, waiting and watching, as she had once waited and watched for her husband, hoping Jack would come home in a good mood and sober. She rushed down the stairs, opened the door, just as Dick was about to ring the bell, Mark Torrance to A. He held her in his arms, and she rushed in, into them, at once wishing she could be he could be unfolded there for at least an hour. Maybe two. He let go and held her arm's length by her shoulders. You're looking fine, Wendy. What's the little where how's the little man? Are you talking are you talking again? No. But he'll talk to you even if he wouldn't do it out loud. To start with, you can instead of finishing, she made a finger gun and pointed it at his forehead. Not necessary, Dick said. He smiled revealed a bright new pair of false teeth. The overlook had taken most. The last set of, of the night the boiler blew. Jack Torrance swung the mallet that took Jack's Dick's dentures and when his shunned ability to walk about a hitch and a stride, but they both understood it not it had really been the overlook. He's very powerful, Wendy. If he wants to block me out, he he will. I know from my experiences, besides, it'd be better if we talk from our, our, our mounds. But of him. Now tell me everything that happened. And she did that. Wendy took him into the bathroom. She had left the stains for him to see, like a beat cop preserving the scene of a crime for the forensic team. And there had been a crime, one against a boy. Dick looked for a long time, not touching him, nodded. Let's see if Danny's up and in the dorm's doings. He wasn't, but Wendy's heart was lightened by the look of gladness that came to the son's face when he saw who was sitting beside him on the bed and shaking his shoulder. Hi, Danny, I brought you a present. It's not my birthday. Wendy watched him, them, knowing they were speaking, but not knowing what was, what was about. Dick said, Get up, honey. We're going to take a walk on the beach. Dick, she came out of Mrs. Macy's. From room 217 came back. Dick gave his shoulder another shake. Talk out, talk out loud, Dan. You can, you're scaring your ma. Danny said, what's my present? Dick smiled. That's better. I like to hear you. And Wendy does too. Yes, it's, it's. It was all she dared say. Otherwise, they might hear the tremble in her voice and be concerned. She didn't want that. Well, we're gone. gone. You might want to give a bathroom, give it a bathroom cleaner. The cleaning, Dick said to her. Have you got a kitchen, loves? She nodded. Good. Wear them. Six. The beach was two miles away. The parking was surrounded by totally beef beach fun attractions, funnel cake concessions, hot dog stands, souvenir shops. But this was the tag. End of the season, and none was doing much business. They had the beach itself almost 